Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Historical Society. This week we're going to focus on a time when the United States was experiencing inflation at a rate even higher than the inflation we're seeing these days. A little over 100 years ago, inflation was skyrocketing. During World War I, the United States economy was attempting to supply European allies with food and military supplies necessary for their fight against the central powers of Germany, Bulgaria, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire. This put pressure on the United States economy. Then things accelerated in 1917 when the U.S. joined the fight, almost three years after the war had begun in Europe. Transportation, agriculture, and industry were under great strain. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, food prices rose more than 80% between December 1916 and June 1920. In an effort to bring some order to the wartime economy, the federal government created the United States Food Administration to help coordinate and control the production, distribution, and conservation of food. Herbert Hoover was appointed by President Woodrow Wilson to administer the agency. The government promoted meatless Mondays and wheatless Wednesdays as examples of how U.S. residents could modify their meals to help conserve food supplies. The agency campaigned to convince Americans to voluntarily change their eating habits in order to have enough food to feed the U.S. military and struggling civilians in Europe. Hoover also used his agency's powers to stabilize the price of wheat and placed pressure on privately owned competitive railroads to efficiently transport food throughout the country. To help with transportation issues, the agency promoted buying locally produced food and growing Liberty Gardens. This was challenging work. In 1917, there were food riots in New York City. Mothers responsible for feeding their families protested against rising prices. Before supermarkets, prepackaged foods, and refrigerators, most families depended on fresh groceries and produce from local vendors. One woman interviewed by the New York Times said the cost to feed her family had more than doubled over the span of two months. Protesters overturned and burned food carts. Rocks were thrown at street vendors. Women marched on City Hall and demanded relief for their families. Here in Vermont, a local paper reported, Food shortage is probably the most dangerous enemy of the United States today. Few farmers realized the gravity of the situation. Were the war to end tomorrow, still there would be a food shortage within the next year and a half. Men who are in touch with actual conditions realize this fact only too well, and plans are going forward throughout the country for greater food production. It was in this context that Vermont's Governor Graham asked school-aged youngsters to participate in a food production campaign organized by the Vermont Committee of Public Safety, the Department of Education, and the Agricultural Extension Service of UVM. In the summer of 1917, this group of youngsters, called the Green Mountain Guard, produced 65,000 bushels of potatoes, 7,000 bushels of beans, and nearly 75,000 bushels of other garden vegetables. They also canned more than 50,000 quarts of vegetables and fruits. The value of their production was estimated at $200,000. In the spring of 1918, the governor went on to praise the thousands of school children who participated in this program. He said, By foregoing a portion of their summer games and sports, the Green Mountain Guard became an effective army engaged in the production of food. Doubtless, the guards already understand the nature of their patriotic service, and by enlisting in this army, they are assisting their elder brothers who have followed the flag and who perhaps even now are in the trenches. The governor went on to say that approximately $6,000 was expended by the government 
to provide the seeds and oversight for the summer program. This $6,000 investment resulted in $200,000 worth of increased food supply. There were 97 students of Brattleboro Public Schools who received certificates for meritorious service in the Green Mountain Guards that year. Another organization founded to help with food supply issues was the Women's Land Army. This was a national association created by leaders of various women's organizations to help with food production. 33 states established farmerette units designed to provide labor to existing farms. Many of those who formed the Women's Land Army were also very involved in the women's suffrage movement. Locally, in May 1918, nine students from UVM and a young woman from northern Massachusetts formed the Nalaka Unit of the Women's Land Army of America. Mrs. Grace Holbrook was an officer in the Vermont chapter of the Women's Land Army, and she and her husband owned the Scott Farm, as well as Rudyard Kipling's old house, known as Nalaka. The farmerettes were housed in the Nalaka carriage quarters and worked on the Scott Farm. A letter signed by the UVM students was sent to one of their professors at the college. They wrote, We are here for a patriotic purpose, that of service to our country in this time of war. We are taking men's places that they may go across and fight for our nation's ideals. More than this, we have taken this independent step to prove to the world the real worth of women. We must prove that she is equal to man. It will be a long, hard fight, but having set our hands to the plow, we'll never look back. However, the structure of the Nalaka unit was not appreciated by the young women. As one of the farmerettes explained, we were under the supervision of an elderly woman horticulturalist. She was our house mother as well as our field boss. She was in charge of us and she ordered us around. She was our chaperone and thought we were under her wings. The girls in the unit with me were very independent Vermont girls and they weren't used to reporting on their comings and goings. Alice Hallway, one of the farmerettes, explained that the young women often felt that they were there for show as much as for food production. During work hours, they would be ordered to report to Nalaka, where they attended teas with Mrs. Holbrook and her guests. On weekends, they were expected to do groundskeeping work at the mansion. They questioned whether they were there to help the war effort or help Mrs. Holbrook's social standing in the community. In late July, the Nalaka unit left Scott Farm. The young women wanted to contribute to the war effort, but they rebelled against the rigidity of the Scott Farm program. Most of them went to Putney and began working for George Aiken in his berry fields. They also helped area farmers bring in their hay and vegetables. In Putney, they were allowed their independence and the work was satisfying. Alice Hallway said, I like the work. Every hour was spent in doing something essential, weeding, topping, and pulling vegetables, picking berries and picking beans, Every moment was put to some use, and the feeling that the work was necessary helped us get over the hard places better than anything else could have possibly done. Alice Hallway and her young colleagues continued to return to the area each spring during the war years. They found work on area farms and helped with food production. Hallway would go on to buy a farm in Putney and live the life of an independent person of real worth. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.